3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. Today, a, as I've been telling people, we talked the last couple weeks a special pre-ninth of, of pre-Tishah b'av show. I have two guests. That's something new. We have two guests in the room, Um, and uh, they're here from the Holocaust Muriel Center, Zeckelman Family Campus. I'm joined by Sarah Saltzman and Ruth Bergman. Sarah, how are you today?
4: I'm great. Thank you, Rabbi.
3: Thank you for coming. Ruth, how is everything?
5: Everything is great. Thank you.
3: Fantastic. I am so happy you came, because today we are going to learn all about Um, For those who have never visited the Holocaust Center, and I've been there, my son brought me there one time, he wanted to make sure we went through, in the middle of just the year, um, the school that I'm involved in, every year we send children. It's an eighth grade official trip with the principal. So if you've never seen the Holocaust Center, it's really something important to visit, and hopefully by the end of today, you'll get some good reasons why. Before we get into what Sarah does and what Ruth does, um, we're going to talk about what this Tisha B'Av, 9th of Av, it is the saddest day on the Jewish calendar. And is the saddest day because of actually five tragic things that happened to the Jewish people. Um, I guess we'll call the number one and two of them is the destruction of the 1st and 2nd Temple, which both took place on the ninth day of Av. So, interesting enough, there's a story with Napoleon, I don't know if you ever heard this story. Napoleon was passing by a synagogue, and he saw many Jews sitting on the floor and crying. Now, it was the ninth day of Av. So people sit on the floor, they sit low like mourners, and they cry over the destruction of the temple. So he asked, like, did something happen recently that all these people are crying? And they told Napoleon, no, no, they're crying over the temple. It was destroyed 1,700 and change years ago. He said, a, a nation that can cry and remember something that was important to them from so long ago, they're going to stick around. There's there's what to be said for a continuation of such a nation. And today, we're going to spend lots of time remembering, uh, for some of us, more recent history. I mean, it's recent. Uh, many people, their lives were touched by it. I tell people all the time, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. My grandparents were all born in America. So my family, my wife's family, not as much. My family really was already in America. So, but let's let's get into the Holocaust Center, into the Holocaust. Um, Sarah, if you don't mind, I'll start with you. What do you do in the Holocaust Center?
4: I'm the Director of Events at the Holocaust Center. So all of the programs that are put on and the special events that we host there, I'm responsible for.
3: Cool, so, and I have here in my hand, well, I'm sure we'll pick up one of these later, We're going to talk about uh, filming the camps, uh, one of the programs coming up. Sarah, we're going to wait till the end of the show so everybody can uh, wait with bated breath to find out what this is about because I would like to know what it's about. Um, So, Sarah, that's what you do. And Ruth, what do you do?
5: I'm the director of education.
3: Oh, I love education. (laughs) I do education. Wonderful. So, what does that mean? You're the director of education. What does that mean?
5: SO THAT MEANS THAT WE ARE RESPONSIBLE FOR EVERY ASPECT OF EDUCATION THAT COMES OUT OF THE HOLOCAUST MEMORIAL CENTER. SINCE THE MICHIGAN MANDATE TO TEACH HOLOCAUST STUDIES IN 8TH TO 12th GRADE, WE ACTUALLY GO OUT AND TRAIN TEACHERS ON HOW TO TEACH THE HOLOCAUST USING THE ECHOES AND REFLECTIONS CURRICULA, WHICH WAS CREATED BY YAD VASHEM, THE ADL, AND THE the SHOAH FOUNDATION. WE ALSO Work on making the tour and the visitor experience to our center the absolute best that it can be—a wonderful educational and emotional and spiritual experience—and uh, anything that has to do with education. So Sarah and I work together on the educational component of events. Anything that's education—it's my department.
3: So I didn't know about this law. Uh, so what what happens? In other words, in the state of Michigan, every child. You know, it's the public school system, the private system. So
5: every every child somewhere between 8th and 12th grade, and it happens to be a lot of 8th graders, but there are other – it can be through high school. They are required to have a minimum of six hours of Holocaust and genocide education. And for many, many schools, we have about 34,000 children over the course of the year who come with their schools – to our museum as part of their Holocaust education.
3: So that's part of their six hours of education is going through the Holocaust Center. Yes. All right, so this one, I guess, should be an automatic question. Um, why is this important?
5: That's, it's, uh, that's the question. It's that's, that's what question. I think we got
3: to start out with. Why is it so important? We talk about Tisha, we remember it every year. and. Why do we want to remember? This is a very sad, tragic part of our history, not one of the things we, uh, we get to dance and sing and celebrate with.
5: Right. So the Holocaust is important to remember for several reasons. First of all, we should never forget our history. And again, it's Holocaust and genocide education as part of the mandate. So there were other people who were lost during the Holocaust and who were targeted. And there are a lot of lessons that we can learn for today. Uh, We talk a lot about the choices that people made. People chose to be perpetrators. They chose to be collaborators, bystanders or heroes. Um, People make choices all the time and ethical choices, difficult choices. So we want people to take the lessons from the Holocaust and say, how can I make a difference in my world today? Because there will always be bad people. There will always be crises but we're not powerless. And that message of empowerment is a very, very important one to us.
3: Uh-huh. So whether I want to take issue or not, um, you know, there was an interesting story um, in the Holocaust about... Uh, they, they had a document about men who were carrying these humongous boulders, like up a flight of stairs and down a flight of stairs and up a flight of stairs and down a flight of stairs. So you ever heard this story? No. Um, and the point of the story was to show, like, who do you think they're doing this to? Like, whoever is suffering. Um, they were doing it to American soldiers. So sometimes when we talk about what we're empowered to do, sometimes we're, we're in a situation we may, not, we may be powerless. In other words, I think a child should be taught that there is evil in the world and you should choose, hopefully, good over the evil. But sometimes when that evil is attacking us, we may be powerless, In other words, if we're going to believe that there's a God that that's what he wants, fine, right? That's, of course, where I'm going to be coming from. Am I misunderstanding what you mean by powerless?
5: Well, let me me explain. Um, Even in the most dire situations, there are choices that people make. Some choices are what we call choiceless choices. In other words, kill or die. That's a horrible situation. Or obey or die. But there's another kind of choice. So, for example, when you first walk into the Holocaust Center, you see the boxcar. And the boxcar, which is also called a cattle car, and that already tells you that the Germans and their collaborators were dehumanizing people, right? Because they are cattle being put into these boxcars. No seats, no amenities, no windows, no air. And they shoved 80 to 100 people in a boxcar. But there were some people who still managed to make choices. They would share times who would stand and who would sit they would give someone the opportunity to stand where maybe there was a little bit of air coming through so there are always choices that you can make you might not be able to change the the outcome but how you live your life at that moment and how you choose to engage your ethical compass that's a choice you always have
3: yeah so i so appreciate that you you said it exactly the way you said it because Again, I'm a big reader. I've read all about Holocaust stuff from all different angles and books. Actually, the last few weeks we've had some holocaust books a lady that wrote a play, a different woman whose father was a um was a um a liberator. I actually have a friend whose stepfather was one of the original liberators. I don't think he's alive anymore um lieutenant Birnbaum doesn't matter what his name was um so what's what's interesting is that that as you read the books and as you say that the that the Nazis were, were de- dehumanizing, if that's a real word, of, of what they were turning us into, so many people understood that you can't make me an animal. I'm still going to be that human, you're going to watch me, you're going to see, you want to kill me, you're going to kill me. Nothing I can do about that. But you're not going to turn me into something low and worthless and there are numerous stories Of uh, of Jews sharing, we talk about. um, I know that on the um, where they slept in the camps, and they would put them on boards, and they would give them one blanket, or they give one person food and another person food, and and now let's see what happens. Very fascinating. You know that cattle car I told you um, was donated by uh, really friends of mine, the Weisbergs, Um, their parents. It was in their now it's in their memory. Obviously, they're not alive anymore. Um, That is just a fascinating like is that cattle car back from the 40s or that's just a mock-up
4: no it is real and we are very thankful to the Weisberg family who so generously donated that to the museum Um, actually Steve Weisberg um, the son of Henrietta and Alvin is on our board and Lori Um, Who She's a gift to the museum. She's one of our docents. And so the family remains very involved with the museum.
3: Now, Sarah, I have to just, uh, I guess, ask you this one to help everyone. People listen, and and they hear, and and we talk about words. I like words. Um, I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people that have no idea what the word docent actually means. Do you mind translating that word for most of the people? Okay, Ruth, go ahead.
5: Okay, so a docent, you could understand a docent as simply a tour guide, but the fact of the matter is a docent is really a teacher. And the docents, when they lead a tour, they are teaching about the Holocaust and about the lessons that are learned as they take the group through. So that's a docent.
3: So these docents are teaching, and you're getting, obviously, tens of thousands of children to walk through your museum. Um, When they walk in, are they like... Are they in shock or the shock doesn't happen until they've really worked their way through the Holocaust Museum?
5: That's a great question, and obviously everyone is different. I think for some of the children, they might not realize when they see the boxcar exactly what it is that they're looking at. And so when they stand in front of it and they are discussing it with the docent and starts to sink in and then they move through the museum, it, it's an impact that develops as they are continuing through the tour.
3: So the museum is, is, is set up in a way that as I'm teaching you what happened, we, we want the child to experience what?
5: Well, we don't want them to experience. Okay, you know, we're not we're not trying to traumatize anyone, and we actually do not believe in traumatizing. We talk about safely in and safely out, um, but we want them to have an understanding, a basic understanding of the events that occurred, but again, also to understand the idea of choices and empowerment and resilience. So we were talking about Tisha B'Av before. Tisha B'Av is absolutely the saddest day on the calendar. There's no question about it. But the amazing thing is, we are here today to commemorate Tisha B'Av. We're still here, like Napoleon said. That's resilience. That's the ability to say, you tried to destroy us, but you didn't succeed. And that's a very important message because again, we live in a world that will always be scary. There are always scary things happening, but that resilience is what helps us get through and hopefully make a positive change.
3: Amazing. And again, I'm just going to clarify for people who have never been to a Holocaust museum, if you live in the Detroit area, anywhere, I mean, I travel an hour to go to Toledo to go to stuff. Like, if you're in the area, you really got to check it out. You got to come. It's, it's a learning experience. It's stuff that reading books is fine, but as a teacher, as an educator, hands-on, feeling, touching, I know there's all kinds of computer consoles and it's probably an old-fashioned word, sorry. Um, all the other, whatever the tablets now I'm sure they're using, whatever they're using, all important things um, that it's worthwhile. Do people come as families, as...
5: Yes, so in addition to the 35,000 students that come, we also have about 30,000 visitors who just come in. They come as families. Sometimes a senior group will come, synagogue groups will come, men's club, sisterhoods, all kinds of groups, Jewish, non-Jewish. So we do have a wide variety of... Of people who come and it's it's very important and very meaningful not just for the Jewish community but for the larger community as well first of all the messages are very important for all of us there were unfortunately other people who did suffer Um, you had you know the Roma uh, and uh, Polish intellectuals correct Um, and so it's important that we understand that hate takes different forms as does heroism And one of the remarkable places that you see when you're at the museum is the Hall of the Righteous. And you know, you go through this museum and it gets narrow and it gets dark and you really, the architecture really reflects what is happening and what was going on in those terrible years and then it opens up and the ramp widens and there's natural sunlight. We have um, a wall of portraits and short biographies of people who risked their lives to save one family or entire groups of people, whether they were handing out transit visas or whether they hid someone in their attic. And those are the role models for us. Those are the people that give us the hope. And we have to always remember that sad as the story is, it's also a way of recognizing that piece of it as well. And that the perpetrators They weren't monsters. They weren't this evil thing that you couldn't combat. They were human beings who made human choices. And the righteous were not superheroes that came from, you know, a spaceship like Superman. They were people who made choices, and they can be role models for us. And that's a very important message.
3: Yeah, and again, not to disagree a lot, but I think when a a, a person makes a special choice no he did not come down from a spaceship and he doesn't rip off his cape or jacket or go into a phone booth i know again i'm dating myself a little bit <laughs> um but uh, they do become heroes and they are special because those decisions that those there's so many stories you're hinting to and you got to read you got to get out there um there are people you know if i i'm sure all those stories are up on the walls but if uh, if you were a polish citizen and you hid a Jewish family in your attic—they would kill you if they found you. Yes. So you were putting your life on the line, and yes. they came with their dogs, and they checked, and and you were asking somebody to risk
5: their life when I
3: don't got to do anything for you.
5: They were heroes. They are heroes, but they're not superheroes. That's the distinction, right? But that when I'm you
3: making. when you become the hero, right. I think you become a superhero. Well, but I, you know the word yes. "super" is, of course, we're we're playing yes. with the word. I don't think that's so important, but I think it is important when, when they see that room to read the stories because, oh yeah, and here comes my music. You might even recognize it. You are listening to, uh, to Rabbi Tzvi. I am joined by Sarah and Ruth. We have to take a break. So much to talk about. So please hold on through the break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. So just hold on.
0: If you need a fingerprinting service, A1 Fingerprints is the place to go. A1 Fingerprints specializes in fingerprinting for teachers, students, law enforcement, and more. A1 makes the process so easy and simple, you can be in and out in 10 minutes. A1 does walk-ins, so appointments aren't necessary. A1 Fingerprints, located in Southfield on Southfield Road. Go to a1fingerprints.com for more information. That's a1fingerprints.com. It's that easy. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at MapleLaneGolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 & Dine Special, 9 Holes of Golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at MapleLaneGolf.com.
3: Advertising your business these days can be challenging. 939 for more information.
4: Looking for new <laughs> new stars, can I <laughs>
3: Okay, we're back. Thank you for hanging on. I am joined by Sarah Saltzman and Ruth Bergman of the Holocaust Memorial Center Zeckelman Family Campus. That was pretty good. I'm used to doing these things. I told you in school we have a a whole long sentence when we answer the phone, also with the Zeckelman name. So, yes, they're very amazing people. And if I talk too much about him, he might stop talking to me, so I'm not going to. But they are dear friends of mine. And my wife. Um, I wanted to bring up something interesting. Um, We're going to talk about hatred a little bit. We're going to, because evil, hatred, whichever words we want to use. Um, In the Torah, there's a fascinating story when Joseph tells his brothers that I'm Joseph. So it says he's crying. He and Benjamin are now crying on each other's shoulders. So interesting enough, um, the commentary, Rashi asks... Um, why are they crying? Now, I would have said they're crying because, hello, I haven't seen my brother for 22 years. Good reason to cry. Instead, Rashi says a very different answer. Rashi says that Joseph saw that in the future, both temples would be destroyed on Benjamin's land. Okay, that's he knows the future. That's fine. I get knowing the future. Why is now the time to cry on Benjamin's shoulder? Good question? Great question. Great. So here's an answer that I say. It's uh, brought down by others. This whole story of Joseph and the brothers is unfortunately a story of brothers fighting. It's a story that the brothers not only didn't get along, but unfortunately the verse says the brothers hated Joseph. So Joseph, even though the brothers are together and everyone's happy, but Joseph understands we haven't gotten rid of the full our full amount of hatred for each other, of how we act towards each other, because we're not full-fledged friends totally 100%, that will cause future destruction. And it actually says the, the first temple was destroyed because of three cardinal sins, while the second temple was destroyed because of hatred. Lots of stories about hatred. And certainly the Holocaust is a story. We want to talk about evil. We want to talk about hatred. So, um, you were telling me there's a room, and there's a lot of rooms that um that you tried and and I don't know, but are we trying to teach the children what- or adults by the way, I say children, but are we trying to show people what happens when this kind of hatred bubbles up
5: well yes, i mean you you can't ignore the 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 hatred that led to the Holocaust, but at the same time parallel to that. We also show the resilience and the heroism because the two always go hand in hand. And it's it's a complicated message. Um, So we were talking before about heroes. So just a quick personal story. You're a Yankee doodle dandy. I am not. Both of my parents were Holocaust survivors. And my mother and her family were hidden by my grandfather's secretary. And she and her 11 year old daughter risked their lives to save These people that they had no real interest I mean they had no reason to save them except that they believed it was the right thing to do so whenever you're teaching any historical event you have to decide what do we want to focus on do we want to focus on the horror and I'm not saying ignore it but do we want to focus on it or do we want to give a message that something terrible happened and yet there were righteous people and in the future no doubt there will be terrible things that will happen But we can still make good choices and we can still affect good, whether it's small scale or large scale.
3: That is an amazing story. So now I have to follow up. Did you ever meet at least the 11-year-old daughter that saved your mother's family?
5: Unfortunately, I did not have an opportunity to meet her, um, but I, I have seen photographs. And uh, she and her mother are both um, part of the uh, Righteous Among the Nations at Yad Vashem.
3: Oh, great. Yes. Because they have, someone was just telling me about the list. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that your wall of righteous is going to be coming from Yad Vashem. There's like a whole award that they research very much to mm-hmm. see who deserves, who saved lives, who's uh, put their life on the line or been killed. By the way because many of those people were killed um for protecting jews Mm -hmm. oh so that so this mother and her daughter are on that list are they in the holocaust center here
5: no i'm actually not originally from here but we do have many many survivors who moved to the detroit area and we honor them and we have a lot of footage of their, of them telling their stories, we also have a survivor speaker um, that is a part of every tour. So the tour will either begin or usually end with the visitors having the opportunity to meet the survivor, hear their story, and ask questions.
3: Wow! I mean, okay, two parts to that. One, I'll I'll hold off on. Um, do they do this? Are the survivors comfortable answering any of the? children's questions, their children's questions sometimes are harder than adult questions because they don't realize how sensitive it is.
5: That's true. The survivors have been doing this for quite a while and they are very, very dedicated to education and to helping the visitors understand all of these issues that we've been talking about and they're really very open. It's, it's quite incredible. They are an amazing, amazing group of, and I will use the word heroes.
3: Good, excellent. Now that's like amazing. Uh, now, the second question is just, a, I, like everything, I'm a very curious person. Even though I teach third graders, you think they're supposed to be curious. I'm more curious. But, um, you know, there's not that many survivors. I mean, anyone who is he or she is a survivor is going to be, I'm guessing, the, the the youngest will be in their 70s.
4: So, actually, the average age of our survivors right now is 88. Okay. Um, so, um, there are some younger ones who came over on the kinder transport, of course, but yeah, it is an aging population,
3: unfortunately. so, do you ever imagine like nowadays everything is is with all the computers and stuff where you can have not only the survivors speaking on computers, but as they ask the question, it'll automatically go to an answer I mean, how many questions could there be?
4: So there's a lot of technology that exists today. The Shoah Foundation has done a lot of research. And um, I know Ruth and I have looked at a lot of these. Some museums right now in L.A. and in Chicago actually use this technology. I think you're nodding. You've probably seen this. No, I haven't oh. seen it. I'm
3: just imagining it. It's like, you know, it, you got, that's the way of the future. And it would be almost a crime to not take advantage because these people mm-hmm. are getting older. That's, we like getting older.
4: There, there's. We really believe in the video testimonies. We're working very hard right now, and if you have a survivor in your family and you're in the listening audience, we ask you to call our librarian and archivist, Faga Weiss, because we very much want to get your story in our archives. We think it's so important to share and have available, um, and also if you're interested in speaking, we're very interested in having you call the museum. Um, but Right now we really focus on the first person narrative and, and having video testimony. That's what we've chosen to do as our museum currently.
3: And for those who want to call the Holocaust Memorial Center, I could give I could let you give the number, but let's be real. Just go online, Google Holocaust Memorial Center. It comes right up. It's really not hard to find. It's on Orchard Lake. If you've ever, it's hard to imagine. If you've ever driven down Orchard Lake north of 12 Mile or south of 13 Mile, I would say you can't miss it. Now, of course, you could miss it, but the whole design on the outside looks like a prisoner in a, I guess, a prison uniform trying to get out. And you have the six um, pyramids. Is that what they're supposed to be? The Six Pyramids, of course, representative of of, uh, of six million. So stop in, make those phone calls, check it out. Um, okay, fascinating. That's uh, like all the other things. So many things. You were talking about, um, just we have probably a minute or two for this one, talking about videos and stuff. I know on Tisha which is Sunday, this Sunday of today, this is mm-hmm. the 19th. So that's the 21st? 22nd. 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 That's why I'm so good with calendars. All right, so on the 22nd, there's a special video presentation um, seems to be going on the whole day. Sarah, Ruth, yes. you want to talk about it? Yes, so
5: it's through the Korean Foundation. It's called Vinik Dashti, And it will be shown in a loop over and over again, starting at 9.30. The last showing will begin at 4.15. And again, it's another way to, it, it's free with the price of admission. And you can come in, spend the day with your family. It's a very contemplative place. You can watch the movie. Um, it's a story. It's inspirational stories told by survivors. So again, when you're talking about both sides of the message of the difficulties and the and the hatred, but also the resilience and the courage that people had, you come away from from the the film with both of those messages, which is perfect on a day like Tisha B'av.
3: You know, one thing, Ruth. I see that no matter how hard I'm trying, (laughs) you are a very positive person, and you are (laughs) going to make sure, no matter what I say, you are going to make sure that we we also learn um, that there's there are good things to take out. I don't say good, but there are positive things to take out. We we have to remember the tragedy, and certainly anybody whose family was affected knows all about the tragedy. At the same time, there are things. To be learned, and in the many books, and I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves of things to to read. Um, some of those books do focus in on what we'll call heroes or, or people that were able to act in a in a in a positive fashion. So uh, I know I got to get into more rooms and stuff um I- i'll just throw out a word you told me this one i know we're not gonna have time to get into it because i think my time is how am i doing ben for time not so good You're about to get your music, I'm about to get my music. okay <laughs> when we come back um of course we're going to have a special segment with rabbi Jonas and goldson i'm hoping he's going to talk about Tishabov, but of course i have no idea we know he's got his two minutes we're going to talk about a few other special rooms um, the abyss is one of them. Um, a uh, the room of Jewish heritage, we're going to talk about. Um, if Sarah or Ruth have other things they want to tell me, we'll do that also. So please hold on, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah with New Radio Media. Hold on, there. Tarno
5: Plus, the latest Liftmaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market. All by the push of a button, Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno
3: knows doors. Tarno knows doors.
0: If you need a fingerprinting service, A1 Fingerprints is the place to go. A1 Fingerprints specializes in fingerprinting for teachers, students, law enforcement, and more. A1 makes the process so easy and simple you can be in and out in ten minutes. A1 does walk-ins so appointments aren't necessary. A1 Fingerprints located in Southfield on Southfield Road. Go to a1fingerprints.com for more information. That's a1fingerprints.com. It's that easy. Guys, wait up. Hold on. Daddy said hold on.
4: You know, I was thinking, Bill, I'm ready. For our show, and, and you're ready for mm-hmm. the show, but how do we let everyone know that we're ready for the show?
0: Uh, slow motion rap video? Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for
1: 20 years, and through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service, and we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can.
0: Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Walled Lake.
3: And we're back, and we've spent two full segments, and we're looking to spend the third segment talking with Sarah Saltzman and Ruth Bergman from the Holocaust Memorial Center Zeckerman Family Campus. But, as our usual segment at this time, we are joined by Rabbi Yonason Goldson. Yonason, how are you? I am just
1: fine, thank you. How are you, Rabbi
3: I am fantastic. You got to, I mean, I don't know if you could hear on the phone when we were talking, um, what we're talking about today, the Holocaust, the Holocaust Center is fascinating. But time is time and the clock is on. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, go for it.
1: All right. Well, when you look at the news these days, you'll notice it's not really news. It's the same old thing. It doesn't matter whether you're Trump, talking about Trump and Putin meeting in Helsinki or the budding trade war between China and, and, and with Europe. The one thing you can take to the bank is this. The people who like Trump, what he does is good. The people who don't like Trump, what he does is bad. There's a word for this in psychology, a term. It's called confirmation bias. It means that the way we want things to be, the way we expect things to be, is the way we see them to be, Eric. Bias creates our, our reality. And in this week's Torah portion, Moses rebukes the Jews for exactly this. He goes back to the sin of the spies, which we read about a, a month or so ago, and he tells us this, when you look at that report, you see that we call these, these spies, we call them miragli, spies. That term is never used over there when the incident actually happens. It's only used over here this week, when Moses reminds them what happened, and he says that when he sent them in, he didn't send them in as spies. He sent them in as investigators. They were supposed to be objective. They were just supposed to report the facts. But what happened is that their expectations, their fears, their worries, uh, it it skewed the way they saw things, and they came back with an editorializing. They came back as spies saying, we should do this, we should do that. It wasn't their job. Uh, and, And because of that, it led to disaster. And Moses is rewarding them, he's reminding them what happened, and he's warning us as well, that when we expect things to be a certain way, we're inclined to see them that way, we're inclined to agree with our friends, we're inclined to disagree with our enemies, and we should do just the opposite, not, not uh, we, should, we should lean the other way, we should be skeptical of our expectations, what we expect to find, we should be more probing when we think about what our friends are suggesting, and a little more open-minded to hear our enemies before we disagree with them. When we do that, we're more likely to get it right, we're more likely to stay closer to the truth, and we're more likely to make real forward progress.
3: Yonason, yeah, thank you so much. I hope we talk again next week. That was Rabbi Yonason Goldson, Director of Ethical Imperatives. Yonason, have a great chavez and an easy fast as well okay thank you okay after I get to hear him I get you know I get to comment but he was very into talking about people's expectations and having an open mind and certainly not to be biased Um, when you bring in all these school children um, do you find they have biases that you're trying to correct you find them to be very open-minded because they don't have uh, much of a knowledge base about the Holocaust
5: yes (laughs) Everybody comes in with his or her own biases, but at the same time, they have been studying about the Holocaust, and they are learning how to think about things with a different lens, and that's one of the things that we are trying to teach them, so the answer is always going to be yes, but that's also something that can be, um, you know, changed and at least create an awareness of it, so when you do it, you know that you're doing it, and maybe you can flip your switch.
3: Yeah, I mean, we all know with children that certainly if their parents tell them something, teachers tell them something, that creates their bias. I mean, that's automatic. That's the power of a of an educator, the power of a teacher. When we bring children into a Holocaust center, so hopefully we may not be the first ones to talk to them, but certainly that's our opportunity to to teach them what happened, hopefully they're, not look, they're, they're looking with an open mind. Because with an open mind, things can go in, they'll be unfiltered. And then when they'll go and talk to the different docents, to the survivors, hopefully they're asking real questions and, and, uh, and their minds are, are being formed with good opinions, we hope.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Okay, I told you we're going to get to those two other rooms. Yes. Okay, here we go. So there's many rooms, many parts in the museum, many things important to see, but two rooms that Ruth told me she wants to talk about. One is the Room of Jewish Heritage. What is that room?
5: So, you know, many of our visitors are not Jewish. And so for them to have an understanding of what Judaism is and who are the Jews, there's this great mural when you first walk in, and it shows people who are of all skin colors and different dress and from different parts of the world. So many of us think about Jews as people whose families came from Eastern or Central Europe. But there are Jews from Morocco. There are Jews from Algiers. There are Jews from all over the place. And there are Sephardic Jews and Mizrahi Jews and Ashkenazi Jews. And so trying to understand that we are a multi-layered people with a CULTURE AND A CIVILIZATION AND AN ETHICAL um, VIEWPOINT. AND THESE ARE THINGS THAT WE CAN INTRODUCE PEOPLE TO. AND IT'S WORTHWHILE for, FOR PEOPLE WHO ARE JEWISH TO COME IN ALSO BECAUSE EVERY TIME YOU COME IN, YOU SEE SOMETHING DIFFERENT AND YOU THINK ABOUT THINGS FROM A SOMEWHAT DIFFERENT PERSPECTIVE. BUT IT'S REALLY A WAY FOR US TO INTRODUCE PEOPLE. Sarah SAID BEFORE, YOU KNOW, TALKING ABOUT THE CULTURE THAT WAS LOST ALONG WITH, UNFORTUNATELY, MILLIONS AND MILLIONS OF PEOPLE. But again when you get back to resilience i'm sorry i have to be optimistic we are still here so you could start the tour in the room of jewish heritage and say this is what was and this is what was they tried to destroy it you could end the tour that way too because you're saying yes this is what they tried to destroy and yet we're still here
3: and uh, from really what we talked about before with joseph and benjamin and hatred i hopefully one of the things people learn is there's all kinds of people out there. There's all colors and races and backgrounds and uh, culture is really a good word. And and so what? In other words, I still, you're my brother, so I have to love you. And if you're not my brother, I can love you also. And, in other words, just because you're different than me is not a bad thing. Unfortunately, in this world, we have many people that still have a difficulty with it. And hopefully that's something that they can glean from from that room okay one more room yes and then we'll find more rooms but let's start with this one <laughs> you tell me the room is called the abyss yes what's in that is. room
5: so in the abyss and it, it gets very narrow and there's a ramp and on one side there is a loop of film footage this is not Nazi film footage this is the film footage that then General Eisenhower commanded be filmed and he did this for two reasons First of all, we've seen these images, so I hate to use this term, but we're kind of used to it. We know the idea. Numb. But I, I don't want to even say numb, but you know, once you know something you can't unknow it. But this was unprecedented. And he felt that if he didn't film it, people couldn't believe it because they wouldn't be able to fit it inside their minds. So that was one reason why he wanted it filmed. But the other reason was because he had the presence of mind and the foresight to understand that film is testimony and that there was going to be a trial, that people were going to be brought to justice, and that filming the camps would be a way in, to use that as testimony and bring those people to justice. So, and that actually brings I'm gonna to jump the in because- Jeez.
4: Please, please, I'm waiting, Sarah, so, you to say okay. something. So as Ruth was saying, um, this was unprecedented. And General Eisenhower really was amazing because he actually was responsible for talking to George Stevens, who was a very famous Hollywood producer and director, and saying, I want you to come in and document D-Day, to document the liberation of these camps, because if we do not do so, no one will believe this. But It means that if it happened once, it can happen again. And we want you to film everything and to write about everything. And so captions were made for the footage. And the captions actually are imperative to read. We have that in our new special exhibit because they tell us exactly what the footage is. And this is 16 millimeter film. And so the impact in black and white, it it is mind boggling to stand there in the abyss and watch this. It's so different from what the Nazis shot as propaganda. This is American footage, understanding it would be used for the war trials in Nuremberg. And um, that's why I think it's so powerful. And if you look at our special exhibit, which actually opens next week and will be running in the museum through December 30th, you see from various film producers, John Ford, Samuel Fuller, and George Stevens, their documentation of the liberation of the concentration camps while they were in the U.S. Navy and the Army. And you also start understanding how watching the liberation changed them fundamentally as human beings.
3: Amazing. Now, is that, is this, um, it's called the first in history, right? Am I reading the right one? Well, the program. Exhibit opening program. Oh, the program is a first in history. Okay, good. Um,
4: The actual exhibit is called Filming the Camps from Hollywood to Nuremberg.
3: Oh, okay, that's just, don't feel bad. (laughs) It's in the print that's too small for my eyes. But um, is this for children? You know, the museum I always ask that question. I think people want to know. So the
4: entire museum, we say, is for sixth grade and up, 12 and up. It's really how we feel um, is the right age, and so this exhibit is really geared for middle school
3: and up oh, so this is oh, that's fascinating so we i mean we've all seen pictures, let's not pretend not we've seen very disturbing pictures. Do you stay away from that because you want school children to see it or it's it's all there?
4: um well, in our permanent exhibit, the abyss is very disturbing, I think we You know let we actually have trigger warnings we let people know that this is disturbing footage but it is real and it is powerful and it is important um and this special exhibit has some disturbing footage and what ruth and you have talked about before is we must remember so that we never forget
3: you know because then i ask you why can't we forget you know ruth gave her answer but what's your answer
4: Um, We can't forget because it is our responsibility that we do everything we can to make sure we make different choices and that we continue to educate not just ourselves, but our families and our friends. And hopefully um, the more we talk and the more we share, the more open we become as human beings and the better we treat each other.
3: It's an interesting word you use to like re-educate. So I don't know if you know the author. Last week I had a Deborah Levine. So she's been in many uh, federations around in the South, so she wrote this book, The Liberator's Daughter. So she didn't know her father was a liberator till she was 40. Like, he didn't tell her stories. But interesting enough, he was an intelligence officer, and one of his jobs, whatever he had to do, was to set up like a re-education, because they felt that in Germany they had to be re-educated to, to see what's going on. But... We're into education. We're into re-education. We're into so that room is a is a is a uh, is an emotional emotional room. So when the children, as my time is almost up over here again in this segment, um, as the children finish their tour, what do they do to sort of? Uh, to put like a stamp on it to say, okay, I got it. Like, you know, I get your present and I got to put a bow on top. What, are they, what do you do with the children or adults, by the way, so that they can, they can leave with something?
5: Well, that is where the survivor speaker is a very, very powerful and emotional and effective way of ending the tour um, because the visitors And it's not just for the kids. Right. If you come on the public tour, there also is a survivor speaker. Um, You have an opportunity to hear stories firsthand and meet them and, um, you know, experience an emotional connection with the Holocaust survivor.
3: Okay, my music is again, and we have flown through three segments. And when we come back, I'm going to give Sarah and Ruth one more chance, or two if I have time, to um, leave us with some important thoughts about the Holocaust Memorial Center Zeckelman Family Campus. So hold on, and we'll be right back.
0: Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, Top flight pro shop and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at MapleLaneGolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our nine and dine special: nine holes of golf and enjoy food and refreshments in the clubhouse bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at MapleLaneGolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're
2: known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. A study from Johns Hopkins researchers indicates a high-fat diet may lead to the development of new nerve cells in your brain that influence how much you eat, but it's also been known for decades that the brain continues to form new nerve cells well into adulthood. So for now it appears the process occurs not only in the parts of your brain associated with memory and a sense of smell, but also in the ones that control your various body functions including hunger and thirst. One researcher believes that your brain functions this way as part of your body's survival mechanism. When food is abundant, it generates cells that will make you eat more and make you store excess calories as fat for use when food is not readily available. But the problem with humans, particularly those in developed countries, is that food is almost always readily available. So the more you eat, the more fat you store and the greater becomes your appetite. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman.
3: Okay, we're back. And as I said, time is flying. And I'm going to give Sarah and Ruth one more chance to give us some more important information. But just to lead us in, Tony, you ready? Okay, let's put up my letter. Every week I do one letter in the Aleph base. This week happens to be the letter Dalit. Hopefully it's behind me. I know you can't see it behind me, but it's there on the screen. Um, the Dalit is the numerical value of four. And my word this week is Delet or Della's, which is a door. And whenever I think of the word of door, and I, I had stories and stuff, but we have better stories from you guys. I'm not gonna waste everybody's time on my stories. But one thing when I think about a door, a door is something people talk about opportunity, right? Where a door closes behind me in one place and a new opportunity opens up. People ran away from Europe and America. In those days, without getting political, that's not what I do, but America opens its doors at least that's what Mrs. Liberty says, right? We open our doors. So, so door, I think becomes an important word and focus, especially with everything that, that Sarah and Ruth have been telling us. It's not just the tragedies, but we have to open our minds and to see that there are heroes and people can and do make good choices. So with our few minutes left, um, should we flip a coin? Sarah, you go for, uh, who's first? Okay, Sarah, you're first. So, Last thoughts, again, greatly appreciated, but uh, what do you want to tell us? Thank you. There are a couple of things I wanted
4: to mention, Rabbi, and one most important thing I would like everyone to mark on their calendars, our 34th anniversary dinner for the Holocaust Memorial Center is going to be on Sunday, November 11th, and this event sells out every year. So... Please, please contact the Holocaust Center. We are just starting to send out information about this. Um, but look for letters and um, promotional materials, and we'll have um, tickets starting um, for sale in the next few weeks. And um, we are really honored this year to have an amazing guest speech or guest speaker, George Takei who was in a Japanese internment camp. He was the original Sulu on Star Trek. Yeah. And our honorees are Elaine and Michael Serling, who are just amazing, wonderful, generous people in the Jewish community. Um, so, again, that's November 11th, our 34th. Uh, it's just amazing. It's been 34 years for the Holocaust Memorial <laughs> What's Center. What's amazing
3: is, is I remember the... Memorials, the Halkers Memorial Center back in the JCC days. Right. And this, what you have, is amazing. I mean, it's just It's, it's really a, amazing. a
4: jewel of the community. Yes.
3: Yes, it is. Um, you also wanted to mention about uh, when the um, when you always have the survivors speaking. I didn't want us to forget about that.
4: Um, we are open Sunday through Friday. And as Ruth mentioned, we have a public tour at 1.30, um, which is included within mission. And we, we say survivor speakers... As often as possible, because with their age, sometimes they don't always feel up to coming. And so we suggest that you, if it's very important to you that you want to hear a survivor speak on the day you're attending, just check with us to make sure or look at our website to check the calendar.
3: Great. Okay. Ruth, what are you going to leave us with?
5: Well, um, I, we, we were talking about um, the different populations that come to us, and I just wanted to mention in the very beginning you asked you know, what I do and what education means, and we talked a little bit about the mandate. We send our trainers, an amazing group of, of educators, throughout the state of Michigan, and we have hit, I believe, every county in the state of Michigan, in the UP, in the thumb, places I've never heard of. Um, Where teachers are passionate and interested in teaching about the Holocaust, and we teach them how to teach the Holocaust using all of these ideas that we've talked about, using the Echoes and Reflections curriculum that I had mentioned, and it really is making an impact. And we're just very, very proud of being able to go out and reach so many people and educate them and hopefully change the world for the better.
3: That would be a, a, a good job if you could just change the <laughs> world for the better. Just a simple, part. a simple little task. Just change the world for the better. So I always like to to wrap up to to give a, a quick review. Again, we did do some talking about Tisha We talked about the temples. We were talking during the break um, that part of the difficulty of people being sad, crying over the loss of the temple. It's hard to cry over something. That you never saw, that you never experienced. In other words, uh, we hopefully many of us have had a chance to have a new car. Then it gets a scratch on it. It's like you're upset. The scratch, somebody scratched. My daughter said somebody did a tic tac on my back of my car. Like who cares? But but people get upset because I had something beautiful, and, and now I lost it, and that's the difficulty when it comes to the, the loss of a temple. I could get pictures. I could talk about stories. But I, I have no real baseline to say, well, I know what it was like because I don't know what it was like. I can hear stories and I can read books and I can study the Talmud, but, but I didn't experience it. And again, for, for survivors, of course, experienced it. But for us to have a feeling of what people went through during the Holocaust for what happened, the people that were, I know as we keep saying it, Ruth, so I'm going to keep saying it for you, um, the tragedies that took place, but the heroes that existed, um, again, any, any of those children are certainly too young to experience but going through a holocaust center gives us an opportunity to experience uh, or at least have a feeling to 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 maybe put our thumb on the pulse of something to hold on to to say okay a little bit i see what happened a little bit i hear again you ruth have your own personal story there's nothing Like a personal story. People don't have personal stories. We listen to other people's personal stories. We either have the, is my music going already? I was getting so into my monologue. Oh, I can't believe it. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do this without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. Tony, Kelsey, Ben, Angel behind the booth with my phones. Thank you very much. Again, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Ruth, for coming. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzwi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Turn to Radio Mean. Until next week, don't forget to think
5: about it.